Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has seven years of law enforcement analysis experience with the ATF and the state of Tennessee. Before joining the ATF, he became an Army officer. He graduated from the University of Maryland. He is here to talk about the 2020 Nashville Christmas Day bombing, representing the great state of Tennessee. Please welcome Christian Pierce. Christian, how are we doing? We're doing great. How are you, Jason? I am doing very well. It was nice meeting you at the Talia conference back in August. And I am excited to talk to you today. And certainly an event happened that's going on the two-year anniversary here as we're celebrating the holidays. But we'll get to the Christmas Day bombing shortly. But I first want to start out with how you discovered the law enforcement analysis profession. Yeah, absolutely. So I started out as a Army MP in the military district of Washington. So I was active duty for about five years, and as I started to transition out, I applied for a couple different ATs for an internship and ended up settling on ATF. So ATF asked if I would be interested in interning uh, in the office that at the time was called the FIS, the Field Intelligence Support Branch. And I said, I'm thankful to be here, so you can put me wherever <laughs> you would like. So the FIS is actually now CID, the Criminal Intelligence Division. So I interned there for about a year and a half and decided that, you know, this is something that I really liked. I was really interested. I worked, I was there pretty much every day, nine to five, which is kind of unusual for an intern. So prior to me transitioning out of the service when I needed to, to get my career started, my branch chief at the time asked if I would be interested in a full-time position starting out in our JSOC, which is our Joint Support Operations Center. And I said, absolutely, you know, I got to start somewhere. And the next day I had the papers on my desk. So I, I worked two hard years in our, our JSOC and then I moved back up to the FISP as a full-time analyst. Okay. So did you go to college first or did you go to the military first? So I went in the military first. Okay. I was in the military first and then I graduated from the University of Maryland with a bachelor's in history. Okay. And that's right around 2015? I graduated in 2017. But 2017. Yep, yeah, correct. But I, I was working and going to school uh, at the same time with ATF. Full and double duty. So. Yeah, that's impressive. So with the internships, you said that you, there was a couple of options that you had, and we've talked on this show several times about how important internships are for people that are trying to get into the law enforcement analysis profession. How did you go about getting so many opportunities for internships? Yeah, so thankfully the the program that the it was through the Army was really good. It was a program that after I got out of the service that I, I always tell service members and at the time my, my fellow friends that were still in about. But my resume went out to several three-letter A's and they kind of facilitate those internships. So I I interviewed with 
a couple agencies that are part of DNI, and then me being an MP, I really wanted the law enforcement side of it, of Intel, or just law enforcement side in general. So when I had the ATF internship, you know, I, I knew right away that 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 was an agency that I wanted to to get involved with. Okay. And then as an intern, you mentioned working the nine to five or what types of activities are you doing? So yeah, as an intern, you know, I think, you know, the stereotype is, oh, you're, you're stapling and making copies <laughs> and, coffee and all that stuff, which, yeah, I'm sure I did a little bit of that, but no, I had some good, some good mentors that threw me right in and I was able to to get on a good amount of intelligence systems that that we have in place and was able to assist some of the other analysts on printing out doing different analysis and research so i feel like you know maybe if you talk to some people they might say i did more copying than <laughs> i think i did but i definitely supported and, and helped a lot of different cases that i don't think uh, most interns would get the opportunity to do so i'm very thankful for that yeah, it's a, it's exciting stuff there. I remember my internship and on the very first day of my internship, I practiced showing my credentials <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in the mirror, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I had to make sure I had the perfect lanyard for my, my ID <laughs> back. What it was. So. All right. And good. So then get the internship and then the opportunity comes up with the ATF and you start out as a criminal information specialist. Correct. Which is in our joint support operations center, our JSOC. So that's, that's ATF's 24 seven center. So if you call late at night as a citizen and want to leave a tip or anything like that, or if there's anything after hours that needs to get pushed out to the field, uh, they're the ones that handle it. So it was a, it was a good, good opportunity to get my feet wet and also we'll was very was a good spot for me while I was finishing my degree. So I would, would work the night shift, which you know everybody has to start somewhere. So I think anybody in the law enforcement community has probably started on the night shift. So I did that until I graduated, so that I could go to class during the day. The title of critical information specialist. How does that differ from maybe an intelligence analyst? Is, is it the same thing or is it different? No, it's different. You're not really doing that much analysis as you are kind of being the first person to be monitoring activity that's going on across the country, especially after hours. So if there's an incident that needs quick response, you can push that information. If there's a tip or phone calls from higher ups or other field divisions that are after hours or during the day that needs to get pushed out. That's kind of their main aspect. I mean, yeah, there's not a whole lot of analysis. It's more, I guess, emergency management. Like you got to make quick decisions and make sure the, the information gets to where it needs to go. So when you look back now, is there a particular event or story that comes to mind? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was young in that position and I, Working nights, I mean, we could start with pretty much any major event since 2015, really. I mean, the Pulse nightclub shooting, I was working during that. I was working during San Bernino. So 
any any of those big incidents, I just happened to be working and and not in class. <laughs> oh man! So with those, then what exactly are you doing to help support those investigations? Just facilitating the information, you know, making sure whatever AOR that that incident's happening in, making sure that they're aware of it, you know, the manpower, how many people are responding, and then making sure that the bosses and upper management are aware of what's going on as well. So you're just really facilitating the information. So then I see that on your resume here, you got a certificate in national law enforcement telecommunications systems, which I think is a little bit serendipitous considering what we're about to talk about. What was that training like and what do you think you got out of it? So that was one of those nice certificates that I got early on. Mm -hmm. So I was trained on NCIC and mm -hmm. everything that goes into that early on within the military. So after the military, I was able to use that certification because in law enforcement, we, we all use NCIC. So that was like four days, which I don't even know how that was a four day class because nobody <laughs> takes a class with that anymore. But I also was trained on that because when I wasn't working the road as an MP in the army, I would also help as that. So we'd kind of rotate between doing physical security at the gates, working the road, and then working in the PMO as dispatch. Okay. So then you transition in the ATF, you become a intelligence research specialist. Is that something that you put in for, or was that something that you were more directed to go to? No, absolutely. That position was a job title of the individuals that I, I worked with as an intern. So I knew that was the route I wanted to go. I knew I wanted to, to put in with that position and also get the opportunity to work with my mentors that help me get started in the first place. Okay, good. And then what kind of tasks are you doing at this time? So at that level, it's a lot of strategic intelligence mm -hmm. due to being at headquarters. So it's a lot of product writing, intelligence writing, getting stuff out to the field, you know, analyzing trends and patterns. So that that's kind of what we're doing is as far as IRS is at, head, at the headquarters, we're making sure that the other analysts and the agents in the field know what's going on and, and stuff that we're seeing, you know, at that strategic level. But then you s transferred to go to the state of Tennessee. Just talk about that transition. Why did you leave the ATF at this time and join the state of Tennessee? So I, I will give a shameless plug for Tennessee. <laughs> I love the state of Tennessee. I was born and raised in East Tennessee. Okay. I even have a nice, nice tattoo of the TriStar. <laughs> my, my goal when I got to DC, I initially thought I would do my military time and then make a move back to Tennessee. And then obviously with the opportunity I had, I couldn't pass it up. So I, I didn't really know at that age, I was having a good time. I, I love the city. I consider DC my second home, but at some point I had to set a time on when I wanted to get out. So around the time I transitioned, it was about eight or nine years total that I was in the area. So I could, I was, I couldn't believe it. So I kind of started to talk to supervisors and, and try to find openings in a spot in Tennessee doing the same thing, which obviously we have 
IRS's Intel Research Specialists in all across the country. Mm -hmm. So I got the got the ball rolling on that and was hoping that something worked out. But I, I know a lot of people that work in the government know that it, it's kind of hard to move. And when people get where they want to be, they stay, which I I will I will admit and tell everybody that now that I'm in Tennessee, I'm not leaving. So I'm <laughs> I'm 30 years old, so you can do the math. I've got a while <laughs> to stay where I'm staying. So I ended up, it, it didn't it didn't work. So I had an opportunity to get back to Tennessee. So I took it to get closer to family and I have no regrets. It all worked out in the end. You're working for the Tennessee Fusion Center at this time. Compare and contrast. So you've started out at the ATF, working in in more of a center type envir environment, and now you've gone to the state of Tennessee. So give us a quick compare and contrast between the two. The Fusion Center, I think a lot of people have an idea of what a Fusion Center is, and mm -hmm. I've one of those people until I actually got a job in the fusion center, <laughs> especially the fusion center in the state of Tennessee is co-directed. So Homeland Security, which I was an analyst with, and then TBI, they both run the fusion center together. Okay. So that's a little bit of chaos in its, itself <laughs> because you've got two bosses and it it's different in the fact that you're working, you've got so many people that have different skill sets and you have so many different focuses and obviously something that falls under Homeland Security, you want TBI to kind of take a back seat to and vice versa. And also I got experience outside of GF's mission. So transnational organized crime and other sectors that I wouldn't have got experience in. So that's really good. And you, you change hats often too. So you might focus on transnational organized crime, but then they, you, you transition over and it's like, Hey, let's, you know, you've done really well with that, but we want to move you over to cyber. We need somebody to really focus on cyber, which I think you and the listeners know that people spend their whole careers in those certain arenas and mm -hmm. focus those but it was it was good to dabble back and forth and then just kind of see how things are ran at a state level because starting out at the federal level especially at headquarters in washington dc you're, you're not working with a lot of state officials or the locals so it was really good to get that experience and see a different side of things My name is Rachel Sungaleski, and here is my public service announcement. Being a law enforcement analyst by trade who's definitely worked in the open source intelligence world, one of the things that has always driven me crazy is the amount of oversharing our world does. So my public service announcement would be to keep your business to yourself. Stop telling the world everything about you on social media because it near about always comes back to bite you. Maintain a professional image at all times. That is my recommendation. Hi, this is Scott Eicher, and I am a retired FBI agent. And I just wanted to point out that FBI agents are people too. Well, I think we've buried the lead long enough. So let's talk about the Christmas Day bombing. This 
obviously happens Christmas Day two years ago, 2020. And I want to segment this section off. First, we'll talk about what happened. Then I want to get your take on exactly what you did to support the investigation. And then I want to talk a little bit about the aftermath of the bombing. So for those that may not be aware, let's just talk generally what happened in Nashville two years ago on Christmas Day. Okay, so early morning of Christmas Day, there was a RV parked on 2nd Ave in downtown Nashville, which if anybody's been to downtown Nashville, that's kind of the place to be and where everybody is at. At the end of Broadway, where the river is, runs 2nd Ave, which is still a lot of, lot of bars and businesses and restaurants and also some lofts and apartments above those. So the early morning of Christmas Day, there's a RV that is parked along 2nd Ave, and it's it's playing a recording that has a timer within the recording that's, that's counting down. And thankfully, officers with Nashville Metro are starting to get calls and also are hearing this recording. So they decide to, even though they don't really know what it is, decide to take action and start getting people who are still down there out of the area or out of the the lofts and apartments that are down there and obviously businesses thankfully it was in the early hours so a lot of that stuff was cleared out there wasn't a whole lot of people down there congregating that there no, normally would so the the rv after the countdown uh exploded and thankfully there were no injuries besides the individual that we all are aware of that was inside the rv at the time for the listeners nashville pd has released some body cam footage and we're going to play a little bit of this so you get an idea of what this recording sounded like as you mentioned it's early morning hours and this starts blaring this warning now also, the the 911 calls start coming in. There's also mention of shots fired. Was that also part of the recording? So we, when I say we, it has not been confirmed that there was actually shots fired. So we haven't been able to identify exactly what that was or why that call came in. Met, Metro Nashville said it's a possibility that there were shots fired that were unrelated to the RV and the countdown, but that's all we know. So then officers clear the area, the bomb squad's on their way in, and the it goes off downtown Nashville. And for the listeners, we'll put into the show notes some links to YouTube videos so you really can see the aerial photos and the damage that was this was caused because it 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 seems like oh this is just an rv it can't really make that much damage but it is quite an impact on this yeah. area 
also, Jason, if I can interrupt, I, I'm Metro has been really good. There's a lot of different footage, pretty much, uh, everything related to it is open source at this point. So feel free for sure to research different videos and to look up stuff about it. So it's interesting because the RVs playing this warning, wanting to clear people out. Being early morning on Christmas day, you mentioned businesses weren't open, but seemed like whoever did this was trying their best to clear people out before this bomb went off. Correct. And the, the time of the explosion, it's, it was really early into Christmas morning. So late, you know, late prior night when people aren't going to be down there. Okay. So now I want to bring your perspective in this, in terms of the story, where do you get notified that this bomb is either about to happen or that you're about to get involved in this case? So I actually, like everybody else was sleeping tight, waiting to wake up for, <laughs> for Santa and, and see what I got, which these days isn't a whole lot since I'm, <laughs> I've grown up, but we have a counterpart is a intel analyst at the u.s attorney's office which is downtown for a couple of his colleagues that live pretty close to the explosion so i got a call and he notified me right away and said hey a bomb just went off and i didn't believe him but i jumped up and and went to work and started to scour OSINT and see videos and he provided me videos kind of just took off from there. I started to notify my supervisors. I immediately called ATF and my contacts at ATF because a lot of people forget ATFE. So mm -hmm. explosives is a big part of their mission. So I notified them. They were on en route to seeing the director of Homeland. I contacted him to make sure he knew so that it could get pushed up to the commissioner and the governor. And at that point, it was just sit rep after sit rep. We wanted to to get together and start collecting as much OSINT and information as we could and get those sit reps up so that everybody was informed of what's going on and, and what the next steps would be. Okay. So were you scheduled to work that day? No, no, it was Christmas Day, so everybody was scattered across the state and some out of state. You know, as a intelligence analyst, you've got to be ready to go any any moment, especially in our profession. If something happens, you, you should have your laptop on you ready to go. After you get to the office and you're you've kind of made all your contacts, what was your objective? The object objective at that time, I think a lot of people know that the comms were down and with people being scattered across the state and outside of the state, it was figuring out the best way to communicate with comms being down uh, due to the explosion and the water leaks and main breaks that caused the network to go down. So it was figuring out the objective to be able to communicate with people who aren't going to be able to come back and then where the main command post was going to be, which ended up being in Bridgestone, where everybody merged on, and that's where everybody got to work. Yeah. So 
So for the listeners, if you've ever seen a skyline view of Nashville, they have the AT&T building, what they also is known locally as the Batman building. And that is near where the explosion happened. And so that's what was impacted in the explosion and why there was a telecommunication problem. So since you had communication problems, what are you using for communication? So thankfully, we were able, with having analysts that were outside the area and, you know, analysts that had their personal phone that was a different network, Mm -hmm. we were able to use different information sharing portals online. So that got a lot of the upper management able to communicate and then We were pushing out to agents on the ground like, hey, you know, it's this network provider. So if you have a backup phone or your personal phone or your wife's phone or your husband's phone, however, you can get another phone to make it easier for everybody to communicate. And that's that's really that's all we could do Mm -hmm. is hope that you were able to have Internet access. And then if you were boots on the ground that you were able to have a personal phone or you were able to easily get with somebody that was on another network provider so that we communicated. And, you know, we just had to keep the ball rolling and and do the best that we could. But I know from the Homeland side, one of the information sharing portals that we use really helped to kind of get everybody connected through that way. But obviously if your boots on the ground, you're not going to be able to get that stuff unless you're on another phone. But the majority of us and upper management and the director, wherever you were located, if you weren't back in Nashville yet, or if you were staying put, we're able to communicate. Yeah. And losing cell phone coverage is unnerving. I live in Tallahassee and a couple of years ago with Hurricane Michael. We lost power for five days, and that seemed to be okay with me, but we actually didn't have cell coverage for two days. And that was unnerving because I had told everybody, I was like, oh, well, I'll text you to let everybody know that I'm okay. Well, because we didn't have power and no internet or then didn't have cell coverage, two whole days went past before I'm letting people know that everything's okay. So that deals with a whole other level at this time of what law enforcement's trying to deal with. Obviously, you're dealing with the the uh, case and invest so helping to support the case, but there's also the chaos that everybody is dealing with. Law enforcement metro you mentioned trying to deal with a public that mm-hmm. where a heavy majority of them don't have cell coverage. And also something that we had to deal with during the outage is you you have your chain of command but there were some pieces of that chain that were like you said went the majority of the day without being able to have access or didn't have you know a personal phone or another phone that wasn't on a different network so you had to jump in and say okay well we've got to go straight to the commissioner or we've got to go straight to the director because that's the only way we can keep the the flow of communication going. Hmm. And then, so when is the suspect identified? The suspect was identified, I believe it was a day, maybe two days after 
We're able to identify the VIN on the RV, which ultimately led to him at the same time that tips were coming in from two women that were connected that were associates of him that were also able to aid in buying him. Okay. And I should have it here, but I don't. What What is his name? His name is Warner. I'm actually blanking on his first name, <laughs> but that? yeah, his last name's Warner, which obviously in our career field, we go by last names more than first names. Yeah. Anthony Quinn Warner. That's there we go. Anthony that's, 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 yeah, that's his, his full name. So then in a couple of days afterwards, does your objective change or do you have the same objective? Oh, it changes as far as supporting ATF and FBI and our other counterparts as far as, you know, tracking down addresses, associates of him and providing that support to that information that ATF or whatever partner agency doesn't have. Kind of start doing what we do best to help better the team that's all working together. So you got the information from the RV and but there's also the remains that were collected from the explosion as well right correct yes that due to you know that being processed in the lab and all that that he was he was identified prior okay. to that okay and but I, confirmed yeah. after that obviously and was that handled in nashville or how was that handled um, not sure what lab that went to if it was a if it was local or to one of the federal labs so after identification a couple of days go by and they're looking to obviously clean up the, the downtown area get cell phone coverage back up we've identified the suspect let's, let's kind of get into motives a little bit because i can at least see how the story goes, but this story kind of takes a hard left turn where it looks like something that maybe John Carpenter from They Live take over the script kind of thing. So let's talk about the motives behind this bombing. Yeah, the motives behind Warner. Warner, he was a conspiracy theorist. He actually believed in lizard people and that lizard people really were in charge and that our DNA had been changed and that there was a colony of lizard people that lived outside of the Nashville area in one of the state parks. And he had a lot of different beliefs and, and believed in a lot of different conspiracies that we know contributed to him ultimately taking his own life and, and not necessarily having the motive to injure people but be noticed huh. so what does that have to do with the actual location of the bombing so he had been known to believe in some of the 5g conspiracies but as the investigation progressed and has concluded there's nothing that leads us to believe that he would have known what was the target the 5g and the at&t servers that were close to the tower that he wouldn't know that location specifically so it's been really kind of a myth that a lot of people think that was the motive behind his bombing but 
like I said, that's not the case. It just happened that with the explosion and the effects of the explosion with gas leaks and main water breaks ended up impacting the servers and, that are housed in that area. And the result was that because of secondary devices that the decision was made to shut down the servers, which caused the network outage. So that's, you know, if individuals or people think that 5G, even though he did have belief in some of those conspiracies and was known to talk about that stuff in some of his writings, law enforcement pretty much concluded that that was not his target. Hmm. So then why that location? The belief is it was that location because he grew up in Nashville and was a resident of Nashville and that his dad actually had ties to Bell South back in the day, which is obviously AT&T now. And so that street specifically had some sentimental meaning to him. Oh, okay. Hmm. So was the female voice ever identified from the recording? They, yeah, it was it was actually a song downtown was a song from way before my time. I believe it was a song. So that was the the woman's voice that was on the recording. So oh, did did he use one of those uh like voice creators to where you take a voice and then you could basically put whatever words that he wanted to? Yeah, I uh, I'm yeah, I'm not 100% on how he exactly, you know, edited the voices together with the, the music and the countdown. Law enforcement doesn't know if this is the only bombing at the time, right? You are investigating this particular bombing, but there is a possibility that this could be one of others to come, correct? Correct. And in any uh, law enforcement, that's your training is you have to be aware of well, other targets or secondary devices. Okay. And you also, with tips that were coming in, there was a couple of different events that were hoaxes that were trying to replicate the explosion uh, mm -hmm. that happened after. They were in two separate areas, but they were both hoaxes that involved an RV that was playing similar music, then a, another event. I don't recall exactly the details of that, but they were both identified as, as hoax right after the explosion. Hmm. And, you know, I'm not one that usually is considered a optimist in a lot of ways, but when I look at this case and learn about it, certainly could have been a lot worse in terms of fatalities and injuries if he wanted to hurt people he could have most likely done so by pulling this off when people were actually downtown also this in terms of just target hardening i'm guessing that a lot of people who run the telecommunication security for all these different companies took a look at like how vulnerable are we, could something like this, a bomb on the street level, impact telecommunications similar to what happened there in Nashville? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were brought in as well during the critical incident, and they have re reassessed that and actually talked about that exact thing. So, I mean, I have no idea on my level mm -hmm. as a regular analyst, I'm sure 
upper management of one of the agencies or Metro knows, but it wouldn't surprise me if that, those servers and everything down there are not there anymore. Sure. Those are moved to another location. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. All right. So from your job, this incident, working it from beginning to end, what were some takeaways that you had or what did you learn? The biggest takeaway that I think everybody had was, you know, having a plan B, but also a plan C. So, you know, we in our office, and I know some of the other offices, you, you know, you're taught to have a go bag that has everything that you would need as far as making sure you're able to have that remote Wi-Fi separate phone, the portable monitor for your laptop and stuff like that. And, you know, it proved to be either the service on some of that stuff was disconnected or the phone was on the same network. So it was useless. So, you know, you've got to have that plan C of now that the, the critical incidents happen and the after action has happened, what can we do to make sure that our communications are still good if something like that happens again? So that, and then also it's the teamwork. I mean, I, I know it's something that's discussed after every critical incident that I think that we harp on, but I will say, I think Tennessee and the agencies in the Nashville area did a really good job of getting together and getting that CP set up and getting as many people, even though it was during the holiday there and making sure it was staffed and it was staffed 24 seven and every agency was sharing leads back and forth and sharing tips and, you know, per providing whatever assistance they could to each other. So that's always going to be a big thing is making sure you have those contacts. I, I don't know when ATF would have been notified. They, they would have been notified at some, but if I didn't have those contacts, then it would have been later than it was. So making sure you have those contacts, keeping those contacts up to date, keeping those contacts maybe on a roster that you print out and have with you and have those numbers because, you know, that's easy, you know, readily accessible and easy to get to. So, you know, that's a big thing is, is those continued relationships. Okay, good. Let's just move on then. So you eventually go back to the ATF. So is that an opportunity where you were mentioning before that you were hoping to transfer out in the ATF and then a position opened there in Tennessee? I didn't know if that was something that would eventually happen, uh, mm -hmm. but I built a lot of great relationships with ATF the first time that I was there. And I thought that it, it was a possibility. And it just worked out that there, there was a position and because of those relationships, I got a phone call and, and was able to, to apply and, and interview and get, you know, get back with ATF and stay where I was in Nashville. Hmm. And what are you doing now? So now I'm in our gun crime intelligence center as a intel research specialist so it's it's more operational and tactical where my past experience prior to the fusion center was strategic intel so it's it's a lot of lot of supporting cases and uh, nashville is growing every day so it's busier <laughs> and busier it's a it's a great great office that has a lot of good agents that uh 
are doing good stuff and helping to to keep Broadway and, and Nashville safe. Okay, good. And I know you mentioned a little bit, but what advice do you have for our listeners? So the advice that I have is something that is really meaningful to me, and that is mentorship. The mentors that I had as an intern and that I still continue to have have made me successful. And I try to be that to newer analysts. And I think that's something that we can all work on and make sure that we do better instead of kind of finding our niche and running with it and kind of staying on your own and and not really bringing other analysts into that or putting somebody under your wing and helping them to be better, be a better analyst and and to grow in the, the profession. Very good. All right. Well, let's finish up with personal interests. And I know you're a college football fan. So the Vols, right? So I, I don't know how much more time we have, but I'm not a Vols fan. I should. Oh. Yeah, I should be. But I'm actually a Bulldog fan. So I, I joke yeah. and tell people, even though I'm from East Tennessee, I was born a winner. So I don't so, think I don't, I don't think they find me funny or or my family. They don't talk to me a lot during football season. So. Oh, especially after that game a couple of weeks ago. So. Uh, exactly that that game, and you know they're you know they're I still have some orange in, in my blood somewhere. So. <laughs> Still, I still, you know, support them outside of them playing Georgia. And uh, it's bad. It's usually easier when they're not doing as good as they did this year. And and they're (laughs) going to continue to to be better. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. All right. Well, hey, I just want to let you know, thank you for all that you've done for Nashville on this case, especially a couple of years ago. It was something above and beyond. what you were asked to do. And so thank you for that. And certainly wish you and your family a happy and safe holiday and a less eventful Christmas day. I appreciate it, Jason. Thank you, sir. Last segment to the show is words to the world. And this is where you can promote any idea that you wish. Christian, what are your words to the world? So my words to the world are it goes back to when I was younger in high school. Coach Castillo, that was actually the principal of my my high school. Every Friday, he would say, put your arms around each other and take care of each other. And I think we got to do a better job of that. I think not only in our profession, in law enforcement, but everywhere, especially in 2022. So it's something that stuck with me. I try to take care of the person next to me. We just, we got to do a better job of that. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you. You've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. (laughs) But I do appreciate you being on the show, Christian. Thank you so much and you be safe. Yeah, thanks, sir. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.